I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. I want to read scripture tonight, but I, I need a little room to preach this. I need a little room. From the book of Revelation. And I want to talk about the danger of sleeping with Jezebel. Uh, I'll need a little room to preach this. The book of Revelation, you won't need the table of contents to find that one. It's the last book in the Bible. Yeah, sure. And I'd like to break into the reading of seven letters. At Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. And I need a little room to preach this. Tell your neighbor he needs a little room. He needs a little room. Now, I'm not one of those touch your neighbor preachers. But if you just make sure you talk to them if I need you to. Because remember the rule from last night, the quieter you are, the longer I'll be. So if you wake up and I'm still preaching, it's because you ain't saying nothing. (laughs) Revelation 2, beginning at verse 18. The writer John says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things said the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, would you say, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Yes, sir. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Yes, sir. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Behold, but hold fast. What you have till I come. And he who overcomes, would you say overcomes? Overcome. Oh yes, to the overcomer who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received of my father, I will give him the morning star. The morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Yes, sir. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman. Jezebel calls herself a prophet to teach and seduce my servants. I will cast her into a bed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. 
unless they repent of their deeds. I want to talk with you, and I need a little room to discuss this matter of sleeping with Jezebel. Found in the book of Revelation, John, the apostle, banished to the Isle of Patmos. The word of God would have us to understand that because of his preachment, his witnessing, his teachings about Jesus Christ, he was left to die on Patmos. Of course, persecution was against the church. And John was one of the originals, one of the establishmentarians of the faith. And here, John, being a great and powerful preacher, was left on an isle called Patmos to die. An isle where he should have died from being alone. But on that island, he discovered that he was not alone. There was another on that island, another with a capital A. And one day, while being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, John says in chapter 1 that he heard a voice from behind him. And he turned to see whom it was that spoke, and he saw Jesus standing there. Uh, But Jesus appeared different to John this time than he did last time. Last, when last John saw Jesus, Jesus was resurrected and still looked pretty much like he did before the crucifixion. But now when he sees him, he is not dressed as a savior, but rather as a judge. And so John said, when I beheld him, his hair was different. It was like lamb's wool. And his feet were like polished brass, which is the symbol of judgment. He said he had on a a robe that lasted from his neck down to his feet. And about his waist was a golden girdle. And when he spoke, his voice was the sound of a thousand waterfalls. And he said to me, I am he that was dead, but I am alive forevermore. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And John said, when I saw him, I fell to his feet as dead. But he reached down with the grip of a lion's paw, pulled him up and stood him on his feet and said, I need you to write. To the seven churches of Asia Minor. John said that Jesus was surrounded by seven golden candlesticks. With a cluster of seven stars in his right hand. The seven candlesticks represented the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the, and the cluster of stars represented the angels or the leaders or the overseers or the pastors of those churches. Which is to say that Jesus stands in the midst of his church and that Jesus has his leaders in his hand. And that if anything is to be done to them, he will take care of them himself. And so while standing there, John heard the utterance of the Lord and he penned what we know now as the book of Revelation. I don't know what Bible you're carrying, but if your Bible says the revelation of St. John the Divine, that is an error. The book of Revelation is not the revelation of John. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is what Jesus gave to John. It is what Jesus inspired John to write. It is what Jesus revealed to John so that it could be revealed to us. But it is not the revelation of John. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And every chapter shows you more about him than you knew before you got to that chapter. 
It's kind of like when we used to be in school and the teacher had an overhead projector and they would lay transparency on top of transparency. They would add color. They would add red. Then they would add blue to the chart. Then green to the chart. That's the way revelation is. It is the revelation of who Jesus really is. Because without this, you might think he's just Mary's little baby. Without this, you may think that he's just some little lamb born where visiting shepherds could go see him lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Without revelation, you might think that he is just Jesus meek and mild. The Jesus that goes to the cross and dies for our sins and is resurrected from the dead is more than a savior. Revelation teaches he is our judge. He is also our Lord, which means that he has authority over what goes on in this world. So that's why you hear him just before his ascension and when he levitates on his way back to his father say all power from the top of heaven to the bottom of hell has been delivered unto me because he is Lord. And John wrote this revelation and he used a certain system in order that the people who were in charge of the government or society in those days could not understand the book. Now there are some people that say, well, I don't read Revelation because it scares me. I don't read Revelation because I don't understand it. When the truth is, it's not hard to understand. You just need to know something about the code that John used when he wrote the book. You see, I don't believe that God would give me something in the Bible not intending that I would understand it. That's not consistent with the love of God. That's not consistent with the will of God. If the will of God is the word of God and the word of God is the will of God, God would never put a book in the Bible and didn't want me to understand it. Because he would never judge me on what I could never understand. If the Bible said that if I know and I still do what I ought not do, I will be whipped with many stripes. The truth is, I need to know what's in Revelation. I don't just need to know what John wrote in the book of John. Nor do I need to only know what he wrote in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I need to know what he wrote in the 5th book. I need to be able to understand what he wants me to know as a child of God. And so what John does is he uses a system made up of numbers and colors and animals that was well known in that day. So when you read the book of Revelation, you'll notice that he uses a numerical code. You'll keep seeing the reoccurrence of the number three. Because three is the number for the spirit world, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And the unholy Trinity, Satan the beast and the false prophet. You see him use the number four when he talks about the four winds. And when you talk about four, that's the number for the earth. Because the earth is divided into four sections, north, south, east, and west. So when the number four shows up, he means something is happening all over the earth. The number five in the Bible is the number for ministry, the number for grace. So Paul writes in Ephesians 4.11 that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers because five is the number of grace. Six in the Bible is the number for man. Because man was created on the sixth day of creation. And then the word six and the word sex are kin to each other because you have to have sex in order to produce mankind. So man's number is six because the number seven is the number for God. Because the number seven in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for seven means to be full, to be perfect, to be satisfied, to be complete, and to have enough. So six is the number for man, and seven is the number for God, and that's good because six is short of seven.
And man is always short of God. No matter how wise you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter who you think you are, your arms are too short to box with God. No matter how many men get together in boardrooms and conventions, no matter how many sit around and plot what they're going to do, you can only do it if the Lord says so. Take the most brilliant minds in the world and put them all together and God can still thwart their plan. Because six is short of seven. Eight in the Bible is the number of new things, new beginnings, because if seven means to be finished, to be complete, to be satisfied, and to have enough, that means when you get to eight, you have to start all over again. So eight is almost like one in that it's the beginning of a new starting point. When you read the Bible, there are seven days in a week. There are seven colors in a rainbow. You read the Bible and you see that all through the word, that number seven just appears again and again and again. Do you remember when Naaman was to be healed? You remember Elisha sent him to dip in the Jordan seven times. And when he came up, his flesh was the flesh of a baby because he was starting a whole new life cycle. I wish I had a witness. You remember when Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, he said there'll be seven years of famine and then seven, seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. You remember when Joshua fights the battle of Jericho, they march around the wall seven days, seven times on the seventh day and they sound the trumpet and praise God and without firing a shot, the walls come crashing down. You remember Samson got a haircut in the wrong barbershop. When Delilah cut the seven locks of hair from his head and he became as weak as any other man. Jesus secured my redemption with seven statements on the cross. When you read the New Testament, you see the reoccurrence even in the book of Revelation. You see Jesus standing by seven candlesticks with seven stars in his right hand. He tells John to write to the seven churches of Asia Minor. In Revelation, there are seven woes, seven judgments, seven new things. Seven times the name Jesus appears and seven times the name Jesus Christ appears. There are seven days in a week. I wish I had a witness. There are seven parts to the human voice, bass, baritone, tenor, alto, counter, alto, mezzo, soprano, and soprano. There are seven parts to the human body, the right arm, the left arm, the right leg, the left leg, the head, the neck, and the trunk. There are seven holes in your head, two ears, two eyes, two nostrils, and one mouth. Around seven months old, a baby starts cutting teeth. Around seven years old, those teeth start falling out. Seven is the number of completion and perfection. Eight is the number of new beginning. Nine is the number of judgment. Ten has to do with man's government, where twelve, twelve has to do with God's government. So nine representing judgment, ten representing man's government, twelve representing divine government. A few years ago, we suffered an attack on this country on September the 11th or 9-1-1. We were attacked in New York, the seat of commerce, and in Washington, D.C., the seat of government. And people tried to figure out why 9-1-1, because 9 is the number for judgment. 12 is the number of godly government. 11 is one short of 12. God started judgment in this country back then at that time. And ever since then, we've had unexplained, unprecedented things to happen in this country. When it's hot, it's too hot. When it's cold, it's too cold. When it rains, it rains too much. Everything that happens, they say, it's never been this bad before. And now that this country has accepted immorality as the law of the land, Violence is all over the nation. Murders and killings, assassinations and executions because judgment is in this land. Because 
Revelation helps us to understand the judgment of God. It opens with Jesus in judgment attire and closes with him wearing a royal diadem. And in the 21st century, we've got to recognize that God is losing patience with his people. I wish I had a witness. That's why I want to talk to you tonight about this church in Thyatira. You remember the seven churches. You remember Ephesus and Pergamum and you remember Bible readers, remember Philadelphia and Laodicea. But this one, Thyatira, is different than the other. Matter of fact, it's even different than the other cities I just mentioned. It's geographically smaller than those other cities and somewhat less significant as a city. But still, a letter from God was sent to Thyatira. I believe when you see God do something in the Bible, it's meant for all of us. Not just some of us, but all of us. Come on, you know how people cherry pick the Bible? You know, they're quick to point out what the Bible says about you. Never turn it back on themselves. I wish I had a witness. The truth of the matter is, when you see a word from God, all of us need to look at it and apply it to our life, whether you think you're guilty or not. Oh, I get trouble when I see some preachers, they only want to preach against one or two things, which lets me know that those are the one or two things that they don't do. Makes me wonder, what must they be doing? Because if they can never get past number two on the list, they must be doing the rest of what's on the list. The Bible names 113 sins. And if you can only come up with two. I mean, if you just want to bat down on who's drinking and bat down on who's smoking and bat down on who's running. Is that all you can come up with? You need to remember the Bible says self-righteousness is a sin. Anytime you think you're self-made, anytime you think you're better than everybody else, I don't have any help in this house. Anytime you think you're holier than anybody else around you, that's a sin too. The Bible says all have sinned. It didn't say y'all have sinned. Thyatira was important economically. As a matter of fact, Thyatira is called today by the name Turkey. Just a few days ago, there was a coup attempt, an overthrow of the government in what used to be Thyatira. And in the days of John, it was popular for trade and commerce and manufacturing. Matter of fact, It was an ancient Detroit or Birmingham when the steel industry was big. That's the way Thyatira was. And it was well known for labor unions, trade guilds, and clothiers, uh, uh, bakers, and leather tanners, and pottery workers, linen workers, wool merchants, slave traders, Coppersmith, textile industries, leather goods, and all kinds of things were manufactured in Thyatira. And the trade guilds and the labor unions ran the city. And if you wanted to get a job in Thyatira, you had to go through them in order to get a job. It is in this place, you remember in Acts 16, the Bible talks about a young woman named Lydia. That was a businesswoman that Paul led to Christ on his missionary journey to Philippi. She was in or from Thyatira. And when you look at Thyatira, there was a church in Thyatira. In the seat of industry, there was a gathering of believers. Now there are three things we need to talk about here. First of all, how God commends them for their ministry. But then how God condemns them and then how God corrects them. Because I don't want you to leave here tonight and think that just because you get commended that everything is all right. 
You know, some people think that if God commends them, they ain't got nothing to worry about. But the truth is, you have to understand that God won't bless our mess. Oh, I don't have any help here. Oh, just because we had a good service or just because we raised a little money, it doesn't mean everything we're doing is right. Oh, just because a few people got saved and we baptized, that's great, but it doesn't mean that everything is right. The people of God need to always check themselves and ask God to search our hearts. Because even in the midst of our prosperity, we can mess up and sin in the presence of God. So you look at verse 19, he commends them. Look at what he said. I know your works. What the church said, works. Oh, say it better. Can you say what? Every church needs to be a working church. Deliver me from a church that has no works. They just meet, greet, and eat. And everything is just an annual event. An annual day for this, annual day for that. And we just go through the same formality year after year. We ought to be at work. Our church ought to be known in the community for something. And sometimes I wonder if some churches went out of business, would the people in the community even miss them? Because you ought to be known, not just for worship, I wish I had a witness, but for works. We got too many people on drugs. We've got too many people that are poor. We've got too many people that are products of messed up homes. We got too many parents that are molesting their children. We got too many grandparents that are messing up their families in our communities. Our church ought to be known for its works. I've seen too many churches build beautiful buildings and then keep the doors locked. They say, oh yeah, we got a family life center, but we don't want none of those baby children tearing up our gym. So we built it, but we're just going to use it for fellowship. I don't have a witness here. You know, it is a little something wrong when all we want to do is build the kitchen so we can feed guest churches when they come over. We're supposed to be thinking about the hungry and the homeless. I wish I had some help. We're supposed to be known for our works. He said, I know your works. Then he said, I know your love. Can anybody say love? Because if I can find real love anywhere, it ought to be at the house of God. Didn't the Bible said love one another? It didn't say love each other but one another and in too many churches they loving on each other oh I don't have a witness around here listen we ain't supposed to be rubbing on each other the love that we have is supposed to be a mutual respect seeing our brothers as brothers and our sisters as sisters and it's to be without dissimulation and it is to be without bias and it's to be without nepotism Pastor the church one time in Greene County and uh, they had two families that made up that church and they were at war at all times. This family would throw off on the other family in Sunday school because the superintendent didn't belong to this family, he belonged to the other family. And so whenever he'd open the floor for remarks while he was teaching, somebody would from the other family would raise a hand and say, Brother Superintendent, I want to ask a question. What if there's a man and he, he, he go to church and he's a deacon and he's the chairman of the deacons and he's the superintendent of a Sunday school and he don't do blah, 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 blah. There ought to be love in the church. But hey, y'all, not just love for folk who look like us. Because I heard Jesus said, if you lift me up from the earth, I will draw. Huh? All, not, not all clean men. Not, not all praying men. Not all men who have accomplished something. 
But when the church door opens, somebody ought to come in with their pants sagging because they don't have a belt on. I wish I had some help. Some tattoos ought to be around in the church somewhere. Somebody ought to be here that don't look like me. And they ought to feel just as comfortable in God's house as I feel in God's house. Because it ought to be love in the church. But then he said, I not only know your works and love, I know your service. I wonder sometimes, Dr. Patterson, have all the servants left the church? I don't know. I grew up in a time when people came to church to serve, not to be served. Oh, I don't have any help here. When we had, we had so many people that wanted to sing, we had to have five choirs in one church. When we had people that wanted to usher so bad, we had to have two, three, four different groups of boards of ushers. I remember the day when people served in church and wouldn't take no money for it. Now everybody that does anything wants to be paid. Where are the servants? Where are those that will give of their time, talent, and treasure for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God, knowing and knowing that the song said, serving the Lord will pay off. After a while. Why are you serving like you serve? Because I know after a while it's coming by and by. And I don't want to get paid here because God has something better for me. And if I take what you got to give me here, when I get there, he may not have a reward. I'm looking for some service. Humble service. You know, the truth is, sometimes the people with the most anointed voices to sing don't carry the best tune. But others who can sing better have such a bad attitude. Oh, let, let, let me finish this. because the, the truth is, it's all about where your heart is. Maybe you can't sing like an angel or preach like Paul, but what comes from the heart goes to the heart. And some people are so talented, but there's not enough anointing on them to set a Kleenex on fire. He said, I know your works, I know your love, I know your service, I know your faith, and I know your patience. But then he criticizes them. He said, but I got something against you. You got a woman in your church. Jezebel. Now, 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 doctor, one translation calls her, you have a Jezebel of a woman. Now, we ain't got to talk a whole lot about Jezebel. You know her uh, from the Old Testament. Her name has become infamous. Uh, like Judas, Delilah, Jezebel. Matter of fact, her name is so messed up. I don't know any mother that gives birth to a beautiful baby girl and will look down on her and say, You're so sweet, I'm going to name you Jezebel. As a matter of fact, Jezebel is one of them names that women use when they want to talk bad about another woman. Girl, I ain't stunning her. She's just old Jezebel. See how she be running around the church? She's just old Jezebel trying to make the men look at her. Oh, I don't have no help here tonight, but I know I'm preaching the truth. Nobody calls a woman Jezebel unless you've judged her. Well, Jezebel was a bad girl. And yet, if she was living today, she'd have her own reality show. She'd be on the We Network Bravo or Own with Oprah. 
If Jezebel was living today, her ratings would be as high as Donald Trump. Everybody want to look at Jezebel. Why are you going, girl, girl? I got to go home to see Jezebel. Let me tell you what nasty, low-down thing she did last week. But y'all know, have you noticed nasty and low-down is popular nowadays? When, when I first started watching TV, the only way you could get on there, you had to have talent. Now all you got to have is a bad attitude. Oh, I ain't got no help here. But I know somebody saw the Real Housewives of Atlanta. I know somebody see this cutting the hair in the ATL. I know some of y'all, well, you don't act like you want to admit it right now. But the truth is, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Because we like bad attitude. Bad girls are running this country. Why do you think they nominated Mr. Trump today? Because America likes bad. America likes cussing. You ain't going to get nobody to watch your show today. If you don't cuss and they got to bleep it out. We don't even know the whole sentence. Because every other word was bleep, 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 bleep. I'm here to tell y'all, Jezebel is in style today. You remember, she was the wicked wife of Ahab, the queen of Israel. And her name has become synonymous with sexy seduction. Control over men. Murder. Because she killed servants of God. She promoted worship to the idol god Baal and engaged in immorality. She's known also in the church for her appearance. Because she is the first recorded one in the Bible wearing makeup with the goal to seduce. And so ever since then, some people have been trying to say that save women don't wear makeup. Now, I know some of y'all want to holler back right now, the devil is a lie. Last time my father preached for me, the year before he died, he was 93 years old. And he was talking about salvation. He was a pastor of the Baptist Home Baptist Church in Reform, Alabama, and the Mount Nebo Baptist Church in Elrod. And he was talking about salvation. So you need to get saved. Born. They didn't say born again, bone again. And he said, I don't understand what kind of day this is. Young Missy girls join the church and say they've been saved. And never wipe the lipstick off their mouth. I need a little help. The, the men may have to help me through this section because the sisters kind of worried about me right now. Jezebel, Jezebel is known for getting the dude's attention. She's known for that. And Whenever her name comes up, the first thing you think about is seduction, uh, pornography, but all of it was in order to gain, please say this after me, control. See, the thing about Jezebel, when she shows up, she fools you, charms you, makes you think she's there for you. She's there for you to look at. I don't, I, now, y'all going to have to, I said I need a little room. Now, come on now. You don't turn the TV off. Don't turn me off. Now, when she gets close to you, you feel that feeling. She brings heat in the room. 
She brings a kind of stimulation and inspiration that causes you to believe it's your lucky day. And the truth is, my sisters, ain't nothing wrong with makeup. If you want to wear makeup, wear makeup. And I leave it up to you how much. I do want to say that it's a little wrong when the sisters in the house say that they're living like Mary, but they're looking like Jezebel. I wish I had a little help around here somewhere. You know, the truth of the matter is you got to determine what's good for you and ain't nothing wrong with that. But I just wish, Reverend Colvin, the sisters in our church would help us out. See, I'm I'm not a doctor. I don't know much about science and anatomy, nothing like that. But I do remember reading, hearing or something that a man has a a natural chemical reaction when a good-looking woman comes along. Now, I don't know if it's that way on the other side. I'll let the women tell me about that later on. But I've been a man long enough to know that's the truth. That when a good-looking woman comes along, a man can be walking right along with his wife on his arm. And sneak a peek hoping that his wife don't see it. And sister, you can get jealous if you want. But the truth is, if you want him to stop looking, you need to just start helping him look. So, oh yeah, she look good, don't she? Because you know, the only reason he was really, really looking is because he called himself sneaking so you wouldn't know what he saw. Reverend Calvin, the sisters in our church would help us out. Since you know, sisters, that men have that problem, don't hurt us here. I mean, can I get any help in this house? Because the Bible describes one of the works of the lust of the flesh as lasciviousness. And lasciviousness means To show lust or to cause lust. See, I might not have been lusting if I didn't see nothing worth lusting after. I need a little room to preach this. Tell your neighbor he needs a little room. Baby girl, I'm just telling you what your man ain't told you. Jezebel cannot be flirted with. And if you ever wondered what's going on in the spiritual community nowadays, if you've ever wondered why the church is so broken down, so ineffective, why during all of these murders and executions and assassinations, the voice of the church is not even heard. It's because too many churches are in bed with Jezebel. So what are you talking about? I'm glad you asked me because I'd have to let you go. But the thing about Jezebel is that God said in the letter, Jesus said, you, talking to the church, allow that woman, that Jezebel of a woman, to teach in your house. Now I got to make a confession as a pastor. Everybody who can preach for me cannot teach for me. See, preaching inspires us. Preaching stirs us. But teaching messes with your mind. Oh, I don't have a witness here. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want a pastor that can just preach. I need a pastor that can teach. If you ever wonder why I admire this man of God so much that's been here 50 years, he is a teaching preacher. He 
He teaches the body of Christ. He teaches preachers who lead the body of Christ. He corrects where he sees correction is needed. That's what you need in the pulpit. And y'all, America has got too many pulpits that ain't got no teaching going on. Oh, they may have a tune and a zoom, a hoop and a holler. Oh, they may sing a song that you like and one that will make you flip the pew backwards. But when you get through shouting up in the air, do you know how to walk right when you hit the ground? And this woman, whomever she was, was a teacher. Now, why is she called Jezebel? Because she ain't the pastor. Because Jezebel was not the king of Israel. She manipulated the king of Israel. And a Jezebel that he's talking about is some sister up in that church that had control of the church from the floor. And then when I look at it a little stronger, it said, calls herself a prophetess. Don't you see that today? People title themselves. Name themselves. I'm Prophet Brown. Who told you that? I'm Apostle Bobo. Well, who told you that? Well, the Lord told me. Well, the Lord ain't told you that. No, the Lord calls us to ministry. And then we have to submit ourselves to senior preachers who are already in the ministry. And they help us to identify our gifts and abilities. And eventually, they will have to lay hands on us and confer a title on us appropriate for our area of service. I'm a pastor. I ain't called myself pastor. When I started preaching, I didn't go make out no business cards. Pastor Sherman Young. You know why I'm a pastor? Because the the men who ordained me that night told me so. Because a church had called me to be the pastor. I don't have a witness here. We got too many folk in town. They weren't sent. They went. And because they couldn't get validation anywhere else... No legitimate ministry would recognize them. They title themselves. And they go down to the, to the print shop, make up some business cards on Vistaprint, come back, start handing them out, go downtown Bessemer, rent them a building, hang a sign out front, I am Prophetess Jezebel. And now that America needs the voice of the church, where is she? Somewhere competing over titles. Somewhere trying to be important. Can I tell you that ministry is not a place of celebrity? It's a place of service. And people look at what they think is the glamour of being a preacher. It's the place of service. And we have argued amongst ourselves for so many years. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who, who are you? Who am I? What's your title? What's my title? Who you with? What group you with? Who you go? Where you go? How you do? Until now that the country needs us. We're not ready. Oh, I hear them at the press conferences pray for Baton Rouge. But that's the same call that the captain of the boat made when Jonah was sleeping in the ship. Rise! Call on your God. When they say pray for Baton Rouge, you think they're saying praying in Jesus' name. No. They're saying whatever God you pray to, you pray to your God. They ain't said pray to Jesus. So you got some praying to Jesus, some praying to Allah, some praying to the tree across the street. Some praying to the universe. Because I believe there's some cosmic force out in the universe that can help us. Well, is that God? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't believe in God. I'm a spiritual person. 
She was a self-made prophetess. And I'm getting through. Give me three minutes. But, but church, she had their minds wrapped around her finger. When ministry becomes manipulative, it's something wrong with that. In 77, when Jim Jones convinced those people to drink poison Kool-Aid while singing gospel songs, it's something wrong with that. But some folk are so gullible. I wish I had a witness. Can I tell you, that's why you're supposed to go to your church to be taught. Oh, I know you got, I know some of us, and you know, well, on my job every Monday we go down to the break room for Bible study. You ain't at no job to go to Bible study. You at your job to get a check. You're not supposed to be piled up in some break room with some people from all over the city in a Bible study. You want Bible study, you come to your church. Well, you know, me me and my sisters, we don't have nothing to do on a Tuesday night. And so we just going to get together have a little Bible sturdy. And uh, we went down to the bookstore. We got some Joyce Meyer books. And we got some Gloria Copeland books. And we just going to go through those. But no! Do you realize TV ministry is for the unchurched? The purpose of TV ministry is to reach those who are not in church. It ain't for you because you played hooky one Sunday. You say, well, I, I love watching Bishop Bobo. I got a word. What you got is the same as a Red Bull or a five-hour energy drink. You got a quick shot to last you about two hours. But what you get at the house of God will stick to your ribs. It'll stick to your spirit. No, I appreciate the men and women of God who serve us on the airways and serve us through the internet and serve us on TV and radio. Wonderful. But that's not your pastor. The relationship, the covenant between you and your pastor is ordained of God. Honey, Jezebel is a mighty good teacher. She knows how to reel you in. She'll have you coming back to your own church suspicious about everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Mother Jezebel said that, uh, that we shouldn't be doing that. Oh, oh, Mother Jezebel said uh, we behind times. Oh, Mother Jezebel said some preachers don't really know the truth. Uh, Mother, and then you got a bunch of people running around now talking about, uh, I left the church. Why are you leave? Well, I wasn't being fed. Hey, grown folk, you don't feed grown folk. They eat. You feed babies. If I got to feed you, you must be a baby. And you remember what mama used to say. You go in there and didn't like what she cooked. She said, well, you just go hungry because you're going to eat what I set before you. You know, as a pastor, I decided I ain't going to be trying to cook up nothing. Trying to keep a crowd. You eat what I fix. I like watching Prophetess Jezebel on TV because, you know, she, she's, she's, she's got the word. I got the word. But you're going to eat what I fix. And he said, I gave her time to repent. And she would not. He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put her in a bed. And everybody who sleeps with her, he calls it committing adultery. I could use stronger language, but I don't know you like that. So, 
putting her in a bed. And if there is, help me Lord, uh, interaction. I, I thought I'd say that rather than intercourse. Cause I, oh, I said it in it. Oh, God. Um, cohabitation, that's a good fancy word. I, I forget I'm preaching downtown. I have to be careful about what I say here. Uh, if there is any uh, intimacy, you know what's wrong with the American church? She's gotten too intimate with Jezebel. She's in the government's pocket. I wish I had a witness here. We've taken so many grants and we've got so wrapped and tied up in things that we never should have got wrapped and tied up in until our voices have been muffled. So when you have a press conference, I don't see no preacher standing up there. But the preacher represents the prince of peace. The sheriff has his job. The chief of police has his job. The mayor, the governor, the attorney general, all of them have their jobs. But my job is to bring peace to the meeting. I invoke the presence of God. And God said, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to send out an announcement. He said, that I gave her space to repent and she did not you know America we've had time to repent yeah we've seen depressions and recessions and we've seen war all over the world and we've had But you know, uh, I believe in 2016, uh, yeah, that God is ready to call the house to order. Yeah, when I look around uh, and see the shootings in the streets, and when I look around and see trouble in every community, And when I see people uh, who walk by the church uh, and never turn their heads. Yes, uh, I really believe uh, that God uh, is calling the role. Do you hear me? And I want to tell you tonight, uh, whoever you are, you need to make sure that you and God are in right relationship. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who you are. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where you're from. Yes, Lord. But you need to be sure before you leave out of this church tonight that you and God are in right standing. Yes, Lord, uh, because uh, it won't be long uh, before the Lord comes back again. Do you hear me? And I hear him say, whoever repents, uh, I'm going to give him the morning star. Now, the morning star means it's a new day. Does anybody need a new day? The morning star means it's a new sunrise. Does anybody need a new day? You know, in the midst of all the darkness in Baton Rouge, and in the midst of all the darkness in in Minnesota, and in the midst of all the darkness in Texas, and with all the darkness in France, and all the darkness in Turkey, which used to be Thyatira, I'm here to tell you, God is able to give us a brand new day. Oh yes, he is. And you know what the Bible said, weeping may endure for night, but joy yeah, yeah. Oh, 
will come in the morning. In the morning, the sun will shine. In the morning. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Won't he give you a new day? Won't he give you a new sunrise? Won't he give you a new opportunity? His mercy is made new every morning. As that days, so shall thy strength be. Stand up all over the church. Stand up all over the church. Stand up all over the church. Would you help me with one thing? Would you turn to your neighbor, shake their hand and say, Neighbor, make sure that you're right with God. Yes. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. You need to be sure and very sure your anchor holds and grips a solid rocker. Jesus, he is that rocker. Jesus. 